Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did an American science fiction writer actually take rides in flying saucers in the 1950s? Do we really have, quote, space brothers, unquote, watching over us? If so, why are there horror stories about UFO abductions? Hey, and welcome to the 212th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Before we welcome our guest this evening, we have a weekly paranormal contest, of course. Take it away, Ben. All right, so nobody got the answer to last week's question. What prominent Puerto Rican politician reported UFOs over the Mona Passage on May 13th, 1952? I think our cat would have known that, because our cat's pretty unusual. Yeah. Uh, That was a tough one, but the answer was Miguel Angel Garcia, who was spending time with his family at their home in the city of Mayaguez. Mayaguez, I'm sorry, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. His home had a view of the city and its bay from a considerable elevation. Garcia, his wife, daughter, and son-in-law were talking when they saw two orange discs, as they later described, one larger than the other, flying high over the Mona Passage. That, that's the, the body of water between Hispaniola Island and, and Puerto Rico, and it's, I've been there. It's a very strange place and reportedly lots of UFO activity. Anyway, go ahead, Ben. All right, so this week's question is a little easier. Uh, what 18th century European philosopher and mystic claimed to have made journeys to other planets? All right, get that right and win a vintage copy of Inside the Spaceships by the subject of this show today, uh, George Adamski. Call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets... It before the end of the show, and you still think you have a shot? Drop a line to me at BennettBehindTheParanormal.com. Today we welcome Gerard Artson. Mr. Artson has been a student of the Ageless Wisdom teaching for over 30 years. He has a Master of Education degree from the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands, where he has held a teaching position in the Department of Secondary Education since 2001. Author of George Adamski, A Herald for the Space Brothers, He also created the online resource, Our Elder Brothers Return, a history of the ageless wisdom in books, 1875 to the present. His primary website, www.bgapublications.nl. Okay. And we have a, uh, okay, um, yes. Well, Well, we we have uh, actually a uh, pre-recorded interview with uh, Mr. uh, Mr. Adamski, right? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) 1965. Comes back from the dead. Hey, in this show, who knows? But uh, Mr. Artson uh, was uh, uh, a little bit problematic. I found the, the time difference a little bit problematic because it's six hours difference. It would have been one o'clock in the morning to be live. Couldn't handle that. So he was kind enough to give us a pre-record, which we will play now. Gerard Artson, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you uh, very much. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you for your invitation. Of course. So uh, who was George Adamski and what was he all about? George Adamski is seen by most people, if in as far as they know him, as the person who sort of started it all in terms of ufology. He was the first who came out to come out with uh, very clear photographs of uh, flying saucers, as they were called, in the 1950s which is when this whole episode started, basically, uh, even though his first photo- photographs were made in the late 1940s. But uh, on top of all that, um, he also claimed to have met with the occupants of the flying saucers, people from outer space. And that, of course, propelled him into the international um, limelight, spotlight, uh, and he became world, literally world famous. Okay. Almost overnight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, that was a rhetorical question because, uh, as with many, uh, I dare, dare I say it, old-timers in this field, <laughs> uh, I grew up with the Damsky's books and uh, also the books of Frank Edwards, who was a contemporary. Uh, and as a, as a young uh, boy in the early 1960s, I was fascinated by his descriptions of flying around in spaceships as the guest of noble aliens and, mm-hmm. and watching animals uh, scurry across the surface of Venus. Right, uh, right. But uh, we'll get back to that. Um, but before we go any further, uh, how would you describe the differences between Adamski's descriptions of UFO contact in the 40s and 50s and 60s uh, and the descriptions of UFO contact today? 
Uh, and then I suppose you're referring to abductions? Well, or? among other things, yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not, all, not all contact is, it consists of an abduction today, So, but that's included. All right. Um, well, let me start by saying that if you go back to the original accounts of the first contactees, uh, and uh, one of the major ones among them, George Adamski, but there's been plenty of others, both in the United States and uh, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, no one ever spoke, none of those early contactees ever spoke of being abducted. Um, they always um, talked about extraterrestrials as being very similar to, um, to human beings in terms of appearance. And uh, they always spoke of the nine intentions, of the warnings they gave humanity uh, for our dabbling with nuclear science, nuclear energy. Um, and only after the, um, yeah, the extensive government attempt, and I don't know if it was, you know, uh, um, it, uh, initiated by big business in the background or by the, the military in the background, but uh, th- so many efforts have been expended to cover up those uh, uh, those contacts and uh, even the fact of the of the reality of the UFOs um, and lots of uh, uh, misinformation. Uh, uh, resulted from from those uh, from those efforts, the people have been ridiculed to uh, uh, you know to no end. Um, Adamski now is still suffering, even so many years after his death, is still suffering from from the ridicule and defamation that uh, befell him. And uh, uh, only from that time, when government operations, secret operations, were allowed to go all out to to debunk. Uh, in, in fact, the uh, the existence of the UFOs and the contacts with their occupants, uh, do we begin to hear stories about people being abducted? Uh, there are some, indeed, there are some stories, as you say, uh, of uh, modern contact uh, that do not involve abductions. And let me just state for the record that I do not believe that any extraterrestrial, real extraterrestrials do indeed abduct people. They do just do not do it. If they have the, I mean, if you just think about it, if they have the technology uh, to come here uh, in their spaceships, why would they not know everything that, you know, about us and about the planet that, uh, you know, that uh, um, that they already know? They, uh, it's not reasonable, I think, to suggest that they need to experiment on us, whether it's, uh, you know, in a in a sexual way, uh, you know, for reproduction or uh, in terms of uh, implanting uh, devices. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, one, one might argue that, um, you know, we go to Mars and we don't even know how know how to begin looking for things properly even though now they're saying we need to go below the surface as we have not really done very extensively before and of course results have been interesting so one yeah. might say that um, just because they come here they don't necessarily know about us they may come here from wherever or whenever you know to learn about us in the first place I mean, how would you respond to that well, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree that you know, the way we uh, managed to get to Mars is not quite the same. It's not quite comparable with with the way they managed to to get to to Earth. Um, one of the outstanding features of of UFOs, whether they be saucer shaped or cigar shaped or um, pyramid shaped, is that one minute they can be there. Uh, for all to see, and another minute they can be gone. That's something we cannot quite do yet. So our our uh, ways of getting to Mars or to the Moon are very very primitive in comparison, of course. All right. And well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say that uh, um, it's uh, you know their ability to control um, matter uh, because that's what they do. Um, you know, they, in my view, they exist on higher levels of material reality than our science currently recognizes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are able to lower their rate of vibration, 
the rate of vibration of the the atoms that their bodies exist in, their craft exists in, um, so that they drop into our range of vision, so to speak. Or in a snap, they can just raise their rate of vibration again and they disappear. Hmm. That word vibration keeps coming up in the paranormal research. Perhaps uh, we'll get back to that at some other point. All right. Well, obviously, one, one of the problems with Adamski, uh, is the way he is seen today by those in the 21st century, is that he described experiences uh, on planets uh, that we now know are hellish infernos, you know, such as <laughs> Venus. And I, I specifically mm-hmm. remember reading... Uh, the, uh, what I referred to before in his book, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but I had all his books. And uh, reading, he was looking out the window of the spacecraft and saw an animal run across this, mm. you know, this lush surface on, right. on, on Venus. I mean, how, how can you? How do you get around that? Um, the, well, if we get back to the word vibration, uh, and that's for a reason. Um, you know, vibration is uh, one of the very uh, fundamental. Uh, ways of life to express itself in in uh, material reality as we know it, but also in higher realities. The material reality that we know and that our science recognizes um, consists of the dense physical, the liquid physical, and the gaseous physical. Um, but the Asia's wisdom teachings, which is my background, as you read out in my bio, um, postulates that there are four higher levels of material reality. So far, they elude our range of vision. They are, they are above our current range of vision, except if you're, you have etheric vision, as it's called, or sometimes Kurlian photography makes those higher levels of material reality visible. Um, in fact, our science is on the verge, the very verge of recognizing this etheric reality, um, in that they they state that 96% of the universe that they know must be there is invisible to them. They don't know where it is. Yeah, they call it dark matter dark or dark matter, right. en- dark energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's exactly the etheric material reality that the Asia's wisdom has been um, uh, talking about ever since the teachings were first. uh, coming out through Madame Blavatsky. You may have heard of her. Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah, and she came out. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That might be hard to do. Uh, Let me know when you manage to. (laughs) You never know. Of course. You never know. Uh, Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, so, uh, and there's also Wilhelm Reich in the 1950s. He came, the 40s or 50s, he came to the United States, um, um, you know, running uh, from the Nazi uh, persecution in Europe. And um, he discovered what he called Orgon. And unfortunately, uh, the FBI and, uh, and perhaps others did not allow him to continue his work to prove once and for all that, that he was onto something. And they instead let him um, uh, rot and, and die in prison. Um, but um, he, he, what he discovered and what he um, wrote about were in fact those higher levels of uh, etheric reality, material reality, even though uh, esotericists, people who uh, study the Asian wisdom, they recognize that there are four levels of those. And it's on those levels that life on planets like Venus or any other planet in our system or outside our system exists. We need to remember that life is all, all there is. Um, life is not just a happenstance, you know, combination of chemicals and, oops, there it is, you know, the, the cosmic accident, as it has been called. Um, life is fundamental to what we see uh, uh, on this planet, uh, in this solar system, or anywhere in cosmos. Oh, well, we agree. Uh, Sir Fred Hoyle uh, talked very much about that. Life has been <laughs> the rule rather than the exception in the universe. Exactly. Uh, Yes. Well, so, uh, well, uh, nevertheless, uh, let me propose something else. We will be talking about the Ageless Wisdom teachings a, a little bit later on. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that had occurred to me, now, of course, uh, assuming that Adamski really had these experiences, and, and uh, for most people that is a big if. Uh, a lot of sure. people thought that he was just riding the wave at the time and writing mm-hmm. books to, to make money, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, but again, that's, who, who knows? I mean, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt, I suppose, if you're in my position. 
One <laughs> might we operate. Ben and I operate entirely, and I've been in, involved in the paranormal for over forty years now. Right. And ben, ben is, uh, of course, much younger, about five years. And mm-hmm. uh, I learned early on that the traditional explanations, and, and I'm referring primarily to ghost research, because that's mm-hmm. how I started. The the, the, the early explanations, uh, the, the common explanations, are not good enough. You know, there's something much more to this. And in, in ensuing uh, years and decades, I've come to the conclusion that the, the quantum physics approach, uh, those who believe in the multiverse approach, the uh, mm-hmm. multiple worlds interpretation, are on to something as far as this goes. Right. So, uh, supposing that UFOs uh, are from other planets, mm-hmm. would, uh, is it possible that they might not jump from world to world, since all possibilities exist in quantum mechanics, in order mm-hmm. to get here? Uh, or, they might not be from other planets at all, but simply from other realities. Or, or they may be both. So, I mean, I suppose, this in a way could be turned into an argument in favor of Adamski's experiences, mm-hmm. in favor of visiting a Venus where it isn't a hellish inferno and Dante would be needed as a guide. <laughs> uh, he would he would simply uh, be experiencing uh, animals and things like this. Now, because that is something of a stretch, uh, but I mean, I suppose what say you? I mean, would that be a possibility rather than just vibrations? Although that that's perhaps another way of explaining it, of expressing the same thing. Well, that, that's actually uh, what I was going to suggest. Um, I think there's um, there's been so much misinformation uh, being you know put out there, having been put out there by authorities of whichever kind to confuse the public. But if you go back to the the teachings uh, that say that life, or rather that human beings are spiritual. Beings, life is, as I just said, is not uh, an accident, but is fundamental. You know, everything that we see is an expression of life. And um, if, if you talk about ghosts, for instance, uh, they are, uh, you know, the, the the astral remains, you could say, uh, of people who have uh, died well, on I don't that. on. On astral levels, and the different realities that that uh, people have posited, uh, I suggest are uh, you know different realities on higher levels. We have the physical level, consisting of the seven different uh, planes that I uh, indicated earlier. Uh, we have the astral level, we have the mental level, we have uh, levels above that, spiritual levels of existence. Um, if, we were, if we would be able to look at a human being or a planet or a solar system from any of those higher levels of existence, um, which sort of you could say build on each other, but you could also say, well, one descends from the one above it, um, then we would see a tremendous and unbelievable, uh, unbelievably beautiful um, reality of streams of energy that interact uh, to create everything that we even everything that we see in you know in our uh, uh, reality here on the, on this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, th- I think it's it's more a matter of terminology than of uh, different uh, views. Well, as we frequently say on the show, our languages really are not quite up to actually talking about these things. True. So, so I see what you mean. Well, let's let's uh, put our feet back a little bit on the ground and and get back to the subject of abductions. Now, I'm thinking of uh, way back in Adamski's time, Betty and Barney Hill, 1961. Mm-hmm. This is the first reports we've had, at least, at least widely publicized reports that we've had of mm-hmm. abduction. Um, what, what were they, what's, what was happening to them? So you don't think it was aliens who were abducting them? It was some someone or something else in the show? Well, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, entirely familiar. I, of course, I know about uh, Betty and Barney Hill, but uh, did they actually say they, they had been abducted? Well, they did. It took two years before they got round to having hypnotism, you know, and some sort of regression uh, performed on each of them. And they were saying, and it was not, it was in New England here. It wasn't very far away. It was in the state of mm-hmm. New Hampshire. 
and they said that they, under hypnosis, that they had been taken aboard a craft. They described the circumstances. Now, I've been on that road myself many times. And mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, experimented upon in a medical manner. Uh, there were uh, uh, reproductive experiments, uh, not experiments, but, but, but probings supposedly performed. And as a matter of fact, we've actually interviewed their niece uh, on this show because they both uh-huh. passed away. But uh, we have the we've sort of gotten the full story out to our readers, and then the, then the press got hold of it, uh, the military got hold of it, and everyone was talking mm. about it uh, for the rest of the 1960s, and it became the the uh, uh, sort of first pri- first highly publicized case uh, in North America, anyway, of this mm-hmm. of this yeah. phenomenon. So so that's what that yeah. was about. But again, it was 1961, and uh, Adamski was still active. So. Yeah, yeah. It was '61, but uh, the um, you know the cover-up um, uh, attempt, attempts to cover up and 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 debunk the whole uh, experience, the whole uh, story around Adamski and the other early contactees had already uh, set in. Um, and again, I it, space people are so far advanced. If they do manage to get here, uh, the way that I'm suggesting. I, I just don't see the uh, the need for them to cut up cattle or experiment on, on humans. I, I, I'm afraid, uh, and I, I would suggest to you that uh, abductions, as they are called, um, are either uh, conscious, deliberate attempts to misinform. Uh, they may have been, they may even have been staged by by um, secret agents, you know, who have been. Uh, uh, hire to do these things uh, and, and to make people believe that they were abducted. Uh, I don't believe for a minute that space people have anything other than benign intentions. I do agree, uh, and Adamski said as much, that uh, you know there have been extraterrestrials coming to our planet who were not as highly evolved as uh, the ones that we find um, in reports from from many um, contactees uh, and at, but at one point they were um, no longer allowed to visit our planet and I believe that that point came in the late 50s or, or the early 60s uh, but uh, again you know if, if you if you if you go to really serious contactee cases that are uh, more recent um, well one a little less recent, Pope John the Twenty Third, he um, had um, uh, he, he had a contact in the garden of his summer palace, uh, I believe, in 1963, or really? maybe just just before that. Yes, um, and he spoke of the people from the craft as our brothers from heaven. Um, there is president of a southern Russian. Republic, uh, it's called Kalmykia, and the president is called Lyushinov, and he was contacted in 1997. He was invited on board a cylindrical shaped, tube shaped, as he called it, craft, and he was with the space people for 24 hours, and he's been on the record. He's not only the president of Kalmykia, he's also the president of the World Chess Federation. Yeah. And of course, the media, um, you know, have a field day with him. Uh, but uh, he just he just keeps telling his story. Uh, been on Russian television several times already. Uh, just last year, uh, the, his story made the big headlines again in in, in Europe. Um, and he spoke uh, very um, in in the in the friendliest terms about uh, the space people. So again, you know, I I think. Cattle mutilations or abduction experiences are the work of government agents. They could be drug-induced or hypnosis-induced. And some people, uh, you know, besides all those possibilities, some people just have a very active astral imagination. Well, that's true. There may be more. Again, you know, UFOs and abductions are not my particular field. However, you do get into mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I'll, I'll, let me throw this at you. We work, and I have, have I worked early on with cases, uh, again, going back to the ghost thing, uh, mm-hmm. that ter- turned out to be something far beyond spirits of the dead. Now, that, that, at this point, I don't even believe there are such things. I think it's the people themselves uh, existing in parallel realities whom we encounter. But sometimes we don't encounter people. And I've learned uh, through bitter experience not to trust everything I'm told 
because everything in the paranormal, and that includes UFOs, does not mm-hmm. seem to be what it appears to be. I'm very reluctant to give trust to any other species. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, as I often say, I have people I meet on the street. Uh, <laughs> and in Amsterdam, I'm sure you can say the same thing at times. Uh, and I just ha- have have uh, problems giving trust to these uh, any whatever beings these may be because they may not yeah. turn out to be what you think they are. Yeah, I would say that you know that just shows that the efforts of the authorities have been very very effective. When it comes to astral beings or ghosts, whatever you want to call them, they may be from other realities as you call them, but the astral world, even you know, we live in an astral world with our emotions. Uh, our emotions connect us throughout the world because it, it is this band of, you could call it, energy. I mean, Einstein has, has uh, uh, shown that um, matter and energy are two sides of the same coin, just to, you oh, know, yes. to, put, it, to put it very simply. Um, so matter is uh, energy at a very low level of frequency. Uh, vibration, low low level of vibration. Um, astral, um, the, the astral reality is at a, a somewhat higher level of um, the vibration, and you know we live in a physical, an astral, and a mental world. You know, where our our thoughts take place in the in the mind belt of the world. Um, so when it comes to to ghosts, they're not really a species. They are, uh, again, in, in the view of the uh, of the um, ages of wisdom teaching, they are discarnate entities, you know, who are still feeding perhaps on people's memory or um, places that they are very attached to. Um, well, we, we have uh, parasitical entities who are not human at all who seem to be feeding on a lot more than that. And this is where I, I begin to get nervous. We <laughs> run into grays, these, these called gray aliens, all mm-hmm. the time. And we're supposed to be investigating ghost case and moving into that. And all of a sudden, there'll be UFOs. And then yes. there'll, be, there'll be other seemingly interdimensional activities going on. Not in every case, but in, in many cases, mm-hmm. because we, we're unusual in, the, in that we spend years on cases. Yes. And we find that they never involve just one house or just one piece of property. Very often, they'll be in huge triangles uh, with, with, with at times uh, 30 or 40 mm-hmm. square miles in them, and activity is going on all over the place in that triangle. That involves very often UFOs. We have one case now where there appear to be government uh, agents involved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is not an exaggeration. It's not paranoia. It's a fact. The local townspeople yeah. will tell you this. So I, I'm just wondering you know, if this is not something a little bit more complicated then the Adamski followers might might be able to to explain or even to, to deal with. So, hence my next question: What what are the ageless wisdom teachings essentially? These came from Adamski, did they? Or, or, or no, no. The ageless wisdom teachings are the teachings that are basically encapsulated um, um, in all the major world religions, uh, but suited to a particular group of people, particular culture at a particular time, uh, except since 1875, um, they uh, have been given out more explicitly, uh, starting with Madame Blavatsky, um, uh, to the Western world. Science had made major um, uh, progress uh, since the 16th, 17th, 18th century, um, and um, the ages wisdom teaching has always been there in has always been around in the world always guarded so to speak by uh, what are called the masters of wisdom the masters of wisdom are people like us uh, except they have evolved ahead of us uh, they've traveled on the uh, uh, path of evolution because we have to remember uh, and that's what this is all about um, Life is about expressing itself through consciousness. So evolution is not merely the evolution of the form, as Darwin um, has, you know, um, outlined very, very clearly and very comprehensively. Um, but 
the form has only evolved in order for our consciousness to evolve. Um, the the animal being the body. Uh, the, the body, body, our bodies, or, or animal bodies, or vegetable bodies, right. um, um, they're all... Um, Vehicles for the expression of uh, of consciousness at ever higher levels of expressing life and, and divinity. Uh, so the masters of wisdom have evolved out of the human kingdom, even though uh, for the past 98,000 years they have sort of kept out of sight. They have remained in their remote mountain and, and uh, desert uh, centers um, since the destruction of the main continent of Atlantis 98,000 years ago. Uh, but from time to time, every cosmic cycle they have sent out into the world um, teachers from their midst, um, world teachers uh, that we know historically as Hermes, Hercules, Shankaracharya, Krishna, Buddha, Christ, um, every time suited, as I said, to a different culture, a different, uh, different age. And um, the masters of wisdom are now in preparation, have been in preparation for a couple of hundred years to return into the world knowingly, to move among uh, uh, humanity again, uh, to help us through this period of transition. That and that is what we are going through now. If you look at any of the systems in the world, whether it is political, economic, financial, educational. All of those systems are in crisis, even our ecology, ecological system, you know, the planet itself. Um, and uh, that is not uh, just a result of uh, you know, our actions, uh, although many of them have been um, uh, misguided, um, but it's also the result of a great uh, transition from into a higher... Uh, higher uh, consciousness, higher level of consciousness, higher realization of who we really are as human beings. And the masters of wisdom are coming back into the world to help us realize that and, and put that into practice. Well, one of the, one of the problems that we run into, with it, no, no, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. what, what you're saying. Uh, it's not a new story. And many people are saying the same thing in different ways, including my mm-hmm. son. <laughs> Ben, ben is a shaman in training and, and tends to, mm-hmm. he's very open-minded, but run, runs into these, if you call them teachers or whatever, I and mean, it's much to my amazement, but I trust him. Anyway, uh, one, one thing you do say resonates with me, and that's that I, I am always questioning those who say that the, the uh, if they're aliens or whatever, are more mm-hmm. advanced. And by advanced, they mean technologically advanced. I said, well, heaven help us if they aren't spiritually advanced. Uh, I consider why? Why is that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, cons- I consider uh, to, to be technologically advanced to be very mm-hmm. much divorced in some cases from moral and spiritual advancement. In other, in other words, you know, do you want to have? Uh, suppose you had the Nazis mm-hmm. with the sort of technology that some of these aliens, uh, alleged, yes. alleged aliens, have. I mean, heaven help us. Yes. However, yeah. if you had um, a more advanced. <laughs> Uh, perhaps uh, the ancient Greek philosophers, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, with, with the uh, you know with all their fault, uh, with the ability to travel like that or to spread uh, goodwill or, or, mm-hmm. or the more positive teachings, uh, that would be something I'd like to see. So you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I yes. do not equate advancement with technological advancement. I equate advancement with uh, with spiritual, moral, and uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Advancement, the mental, intellectual advancement, that sort of thing. And, and that's exactly uh, what it is about. And, and uh, of course, you know, um, science fiction and, and, and everything has done a lot to. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a, personally, I'm a, I love uh, the Star Trek series, especially the Voyager series. And if you look at the Borg, is I think that's uh, that's an epitome of what you were just describing. You know, uh, advancement, technological advancement, without the moral and spiritual uh, um, quality. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is that the age's wisdom uh, states that evolution of consciousness is really what life is about mm-hmm. and that the masters of wisdom are the exemplars, so to speak, the mentors for humanity and soon enough we will be able to, uh, to see that with our own eyes. Madame Blavatsky, by the way, was the first to, um, to 
uh, write about the existence of the masses uh, and about uh, the evolution of consciousness and about the spiritual nature uh, of um, of humanity. Um, and um, what I've um, uncovered uh, from various sources is that George Adamski actually was sent to Tibet, which is one of the cent- mountain centers where uh, a number of masters uh, um, have been uh, living uh, and working, um, and he was sent as a teenager to Tibet to study and and be trained by the, the masters of wisdom. So the first, his first work, his first book, in fact, and and that's what set me on this trail. His first book was called Wisdom from the Masters of the Far East, and that was. Him? Sorry, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but who, who sent him there? Um, Yes, he, um, he, you may know that his father died when George was still very young. They had just emigrated to the United States. Uh, his father Two was... Years a, old, I believe, yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, and not long after the, uh, the Adamski family arrived in the States, uh, his father died. But on their way here, on the, the ocean liner to uh, Dunkirk, New York, or to New York, before they moved to Dunkirk, um, they, the, the Adamski family uh, sort of befriended a tall, dark stranger, as it's described, as he's described, and they later came to know him as Uncle Sid. And Uncle Sid um, sort of took over paternal uh, responsibilities after George's father had died. Um, and uh, he also suggested to George's mother that it would be good for his development, uh, whatever, if uh, they sent him to be trained at a, lo- um, uh, uh, a monastery in, uh, in uh, Tibet. And that's where he studied with the Masters of Wisdom. And that's where his early philosophies came from, which he taught in the 1920s, in the 1930s. His, his talks, his lectures were broadcast on local radio stations in California. Mm-hmm. And they were all about the the tenets, the premises of the uh, Asia's wisdom teaching. Well, some might ask, if there's any proof that he actually did that, but, well, we'll, we'll, we don't have the time to get into that. Uh, But I I would um, say that um, if what you describe is actually true and that's all there is to it, uh, that would be, I suppose, wonderful. But, again, (laughs) I I cannot... cannot, uh, forget my own experiences with Mm -hmm. so many entities that are not what they appear to be and who are literally feeding upon the negative energy and and, and Mm -hmm. creating negative energy among among humans Uh, which leads to the question of why if if uh, what you are describing is is all there is to it and is accurate why would the government be any government be upset with the positive nature of what's happening is there what's what's happening as far as cover-ups are concerned why would there be cover-ups? Uh, yes, well, before I go into that, let me just um, go back to the point you're making about those entities uh, that, uh, and negative energies. Uh, we must remember that um, um, the astral um, belt around the Earth is populated with all kinds of uh, creatures that and entities, I should say, um, that have come into existence uh, mainly because of you know our our imaginations. Uh, uh, lots of things uh, that are unreal are coming from those levels. There's, there's zillions of people who receive teachings from those levels. You know, and there's seven planes in the astral level, and um, uh, there are. Uh, real entities working there, uh, disciples of masters, but there are probably even more unreal entities there. That's uh, the Babylonians looked at it. Um, oh, yeah, well, it makes sense to me. Um, but uh, to come back to that, to your question about uh, um, uh, the cover-ups, um, I think uh, uh, even a, a cursory look at the world today and even in the 1950s, uh, it's it makes perfect sense for the authorities to have acted as they did because they stand to lose everything that they hold dear. And uh, by everything, I mean, you know, the authorities, I'm sure I'm not telling you a secret, uh, if I say that the authorities are very often um, 
the the protectors of uh, the powers that be in the background, and that's usually oh, yeah. big business and and the military, and uh, they have everything to lose. They stand to lose everything in terms of power and control uh, over the populace. Uh, if indeed uh, you know the the world would be informed about the reality of UFOs, about the benign intentions of the space visitors, and uh, if we would be given. Uh, as the space people have been uh, working with our scientists, if we would be given the uh, means for free energy, you know, the whole, the control over the whole financial and economic world would be taken away uh, at a stroke from the, those people. Yeah. Certainly makes sense. Uh, right, well, well, uh, okay, we're, we're we're kind of running out of time now, but I did want to ask you. Uh, so all this, as, as um, uh, an addendum to the previous question, so all these the faked abductions by the government is to build up the belief that these are our enemies rather than our friends. Exactly, exactly okay. the point. All right. Now that, that, that's something very similar to what other guests have said on the show. Mm-hmm. So, but I wanted to give. But that's about all the time we have. But I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book. Uh, where can people get it? And your website. And congratulations. Uh, I understand the Dutch edition of your book just arrived. It's just arrived this afternoon. Thank you. Um, the book is called George Adamski: A Herald for the Space Brothers. Um, it came out last year. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or any online uh, retailer. Um, I, I'm sure you can also order it in in your local bookshop, uh, although that will take a bit longer. Um, it has, and I find that very interesting myself. It has two rare texts by Adamski that I was given permission to reprint um, by the Adamski Foundation. Um, I have uh, included notes for all my sources, so when I say uh, Adamski went to Tibet I have several sources uh, on which I've based that and they're, they're all listed in notes uh, so people can go back to those sources and, and um, check for themselves um, I think it's a, a really a message of hope um, that comes shines through Adamski's efforts and, and work, his mission and his teaching and the main thing I think that, that I'm trying to get across in my book is to say that the UFO the coming of the UFOs is not an isolated event, it is uh, in support of things that are going on on this planet and as I mentioned that means the return of the masses of wisdom and the world teacher at this time in, in our history and in our evolution. Well, very good. Well, there are many more questions I could ask, but that's a, a, I compliment you on your presentation and on your English as well. All my Dutch friends speak English better than Americans do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but, you very uh, much. <laughs> very, very good luck with your book, uh, Gerard, and uh, we will have you back uh, very soon. And uh, uh, Thank you, you very much. much. Thank you very much. I'll be happy to be back and answer more questions. Very good. Okay, folks, George Adamski, first contactee of the 1950s, decide for yourself. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ON 1240 AM and www.onworldwide.com. We'll do a few emails before the end of the show, so stay with us. Hi, this is Christian Tribuco, welcoming you to the new Krakow Express Polka Hour. Every Sunday from noon to one, in English and Polish, you'll hear information about local events, interesting people, and a great selection of polkas and traditional favorites. Every Sunday from noon to one, przekażcie wszystkim znajomym i słuchajcie nas w każdą niedzielę od 12 do pierwszej. Hi everyone, this is Jen Jolliger, president and founder of Athena's Home Novelties and Heavenly Goddess Spa Parties. If your life isn't everything you want it to be, join us each Friday afternoon for the Goddess Power Hour radio program. Each week I'll present people and ideas which will inspire you and empower you to change your life for the better, for yourself and for your family. Join us Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Owen Radio, the positive place. Owen Radio! Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. We are going to do one or two emails before we close out. And this one is from Sal in Los Angeles, California. 
Right. And Sala writes to us, I've always wondered why poltergeists seem to be attracted to children, but curiously enough, why don't schools and juvenile facilities exhibit some kind of activity when all kids are in one place? Have you ever heard of PK activity during school hours? Well, that, uh, PK being a psychokinetic activity. Well, Sal, I must say that in uh, over 40 years of paranormal research, no one has ever asked me that before. So congratulations. It's an awfully good question. However, I have to correct that. I've asked myself that before. And the answer was one of the things that kind of got me away from the traditional interpretation of poltergeist. The poltergeist is generally considered, in garden variety, parapsychological thought, to be, among other things, a... Not an entity in itself, but a force that is created uh, out of the mind of the uh, agent, as it's called, as someone who is going through a great deal of trauma, such as a an older child going through or starting to go through puberty, a period of great uh, psychological and physical upheaval. And it's often thought that since a lot of poltergeists seem to center around such children, uh, that this is this is really one of the explanations. However, if you look at all poltergeist cases, they don't all center around children. And, a lot, and, and I, I really must say that in my own experience, most do not. I have seen them move on to children from other people, but I think poltergeists are, no, are not what is described in parapsychology. I think they are actual entities. They are the extreme version of what we might call, Ben and I would call parasites, parasitical, parasitical entities, feeding upon what, I guess, for lack of any better explanation, the negative energy that is exhibited by people in many different situations, and all the ducks are lined up. A lot of people have negativity in their lives. They don't always have poltergeists. But everything's lined up so that you have a, a, a parasite that feeds and gets so so strong from this, they can become a, a physically active poltergeist. Now, poltergeists will throw things across the room, or at least the energies around them will throw things across the room. I don't know if it's deliberate or not. Uh, I have had experiences with them. I've been injured by them. I have had physical altercations with them on one particular occasion especially. Uh, I've often mentioned it on the show. It was in 1974. I was trying to protect a child from this thing, and this child did seem to be the center in this case. And the thing literally pushed me. I pushed it back. I felt bone structure, as I've said, and the thing got around and threw the child across the room. So your question is, if indeed this is what's going on, why don't schools seem to be full of poltergeist activity? Well, uh, one thing, uh, not to be jocular about it, but often in schools uh, there's so much activity you probably wouldn't need a poltergeist. But uh, seriously, I think that uh, it's, it's, you don't see it in schools or public places of this kind because that's not what poltergeists are. It depends not on the age of the person, I think, but on the negativity of the situation in this particular house. And, and every family I've dealt with that's had to dealt with a poltergeist, there have been a lot of negative feelings, a lot of negative energy, a lot of negativity in the situation. And that, I believe, has fed the poltergeist. Uh, as a matter of fact, the child in this 1974 case, to me, was the calmest person in the house. As a matter of fact, she, she was 10 years old. She kind of... I got the impression, kind of enjoyed all the attention. I mean, gosh, the place was full of newspaper people, television network people, the press. She was getting all kinds of attention. And of course, so was the entity. So I think that the people who were upset were her parents. So anyway, so I, I think that these things do not occur widely in schools and juvenile facilities simply because that's not what they're about. So I think uh, we have to re- ask the right questions in order to get the right answers. But uh, extremely good question. Uh, this is what most people think, and uh, I'm glad you asked it, and thank you very much. Okay. There is, uh, what, how much time we got left here? About five minutes. Okay. Let's do this other one. Uh, this is, um, all right, well, this is a common question we get. I hate to keep harping on it, but this is from um, nobody. All right. doesn't say who she is or where she's from or whatever. Go ahead. Wonderful. Okay, so nobody Anonymous. so nobody writes. I I have read and reread and enjoyed your books on the paranormal. I have been pretty eagerly awaiting your next one. Any idea when it'll be available? I'm aware it's been postponed. Any ETA yet? Well, I'm eagerly awaiting it too. The trouble with me is that I um, keep running into things that I want to put in it. It should have been out two years ago. It's called Dancing Past the Graveyard: What Ghosts Have to Say About God. 
And with the theological background that I have and working in the paranormal, I thought I'd combine the two and uh, give people an answer to a question that I always get, which is, uh, hey, somebody, quote, crosses over or passes over, they must know all about God. Well, first of all, that's not true at all. Uh, and secondly, I'm going to prove it by a lot of the cases in this book. It, it, it is a book of case histories, some of which I think will move people to tears because they're so beautiful. But I think people are going to get answers they don't expect about God. I think God is a lot bigger than a lot of our preconceptions. So I don't want to give too much of it away, but that's essentially what it is. I hope to finish it within the next few months. And uh, the, one of the problems, too, is we're changing publishers, and uh, that's that's a whole new kind of ball game there, and I have an agent ready to uh, put out a contract on me because uh, I haven't finished the book yet, but I'm, I'm working as quickly as I can, and I think it will be, I hope, if I say so myself, worth waiting for. But I do appreciate the fact that you enjoy my other books. And people often ask where they can get them. Uh, they're all on, uh, except for this one, of course, so far, on Amazon Kindle, which is really a popular venue right now. And you can also get them from Amazon.com and, and this sort of thing. So, uh, And also uh, our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can buy my books, and that leads right into our closing here, Ben, I guess. Uh, so I want to thank our producer, Craig Pelletier, and we'll see you next Monday, February 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here. On ON1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com, Ben and I will be talking about ghosts of the living, often a more chilling subject than ghosts of the dead. All right. Uh, you know, one of the cases um, the people we could probably talk about, too, is, is that famous case in Maine I've often mentioned, but people never seem to be able to get enough of that, uh, where the girl was a, a living student at the University of Connecticut and at the same time haunting a house 120 miles away in Maine. And she happened to run into the people on their front porch, and everybody almost had a heart attack. Quite a, quite a case. One of the ones that got me thinking ghosts are not necessarily spirits of the dead. So it's a lot more to it. Tip of the iceberg. Okay, so in the meantime, tune in to our Sunday evening CBS radio edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com on February 6th. We'll be talking with conversational author, uh, controversial, conversational. Yeah, I, hope, uh, I hope she can talk. No, yeah. She can talk show. Yeah, controversial author and cryptozoologist Linda Godfrey on the weird subject of canine cryptids in America. In case you know what a cryptid is, it's an unrecorded or uncategorized creature uh, such as Bigfoot and this sort of thing. And I think that show is going to be great because she, uh, in her book, The Michigan Dog Man, uh, she's got <laughs> wonderful chapter names like the Texas Terribles, the Minnesota Monsters, the Kentucky Canines, Scary Home Alabama, Northeastern Unknowns, the Bear Wolf of Holy Hill. I can't wait for this show. Anyway, so that's... It's uh, like an episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, I don't know what this... Don't, don't be disrespectful for it. I'm not being it. disrespectful because it's like the names. Like there's The names are so catchy. <laughs> they are catchy, yeah. Uh, the, like, the Minnesota Monster or the... Or like... Well, the... Bearwolf of Holy, I like that. Hey, she signed our book when she signed. I think that's. Cool. I'm not trying to be uncharitable. I mean, that's just what it sounds like. Well, I know. Anyway, so anyhow, and again, uh, we are our CBS show now is in the Pittsburgh market, so we're having a great time there, getting some emails from folks who are listening there. And anyway, uh, again, remember you can get all the free podcasts uh, on behindtheparanormal.com. Well over 200 shows, and uh, we just finished uh, this past weekend our Rendlesham uh, series, the Return to Rendlesham Encore. And uh, that has had tremendous uh, reception. You can get those podcasts, too. In the meantime, we leave you with a rather thought-provoking quote from the physicist Sir William Lawrence Bragg, who, by the way, received a Nobel Prize at the age of 25. You could do that, Ben. No. Quote, The important thing in science is not so much to obtain new facts as to discover new ways of thinking about them. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.